0: Hey folks, welcome to the Adventure Sports Podcast. I'm your host, Mason. Audio quality a little different today. I'm recording this from my living room. My dog's walking around. There's a train going by. Uh, I just didn't have time to go to the studio, so just fair warning. Uh, But the interview itself, thankfully, was recorded a few years ago with Kurt when he was the host, and uh, interviewing Mina here, who ran 40 marathons in 40 days, running down six of the world's great rivers alongside them, six continents in just six weeks. Epic story. You're going to get a lot out of it. But before we jump in, I did want to let you know, you probably noticed a new logo uh, for Adventure Sports Podcast in the show notes or, or, or when you kind of pulled it up on your, on your podcast app. And that's because we just celebrated our eighth birthday. We thought it'd be a great time to uh, just kind of bring a new image to the show, uh, grab your attention when you're scrolling through the apps. You know, discoverability for podcasts is still an issue. It's still like hard to find new shows. The easiest way to do that is just asking your friends, asking people who have like a similar interest, hey, what kind of shows are you listening to? What, what, what do you recommend? So if you would do us a favor with this new look, um, leave us a review anywhere you listen to the show, but also share it with some friends. Tell them about a story you heard on here. That is by far the best way to grow a podcast still. Um, always has been, and I, I foresee it always will be because discoverability is still a huge problem with podcasts. So share it, um, tell folks about it and continue to be inspired. Super excited. And by the way, yesterday, our, our, uh, adventure grant applications closed. We're going to be going through those applications in the next week, week and a half, and we will be announcing the winners on the podcast soon. Keep your ears open. Keep your eyes open for the feed and uh, see if your name's on there, if you applied. So, all right. Without further ado, let's go ahead and jump in.
1: Hello, friends. Thank you so much for listening again today to the Adventure Sports Podcast. I have a special treat in store for you today. Mina Guli is in Hong Kong. And it's early morning there, it's evening here where I am, and she was kind enough to get up early and uh, join the Adventure Sports Podcast to share some of what she is passionate about and some of what she's been doing. Mina grew up in Melbourne, Australia, but she lived for 10 years in Beijing, China, and she's currently, like I said, in Hong Kong. She is an ultra runner, and she's also passionate, passionate about water. And I'm passionate about water, too. You may have gathered that if you've listened to the show for a while. Water matters, and we're going to dive into what that means. So, Mina has done two huge projects in the last two years to help build awareness about water issues. And both of these projects involved running huge distances in short periods of time in settings all over the globe. So, we've got adventure travel, we have ultra-running We have a cause to fight for. This is going to be fun. Mina, welcome to the program.
2: Thanks, Curtis. I'm really excited to be here.
1: Oh, I'm excited to visit with you. Why don't we start out with describing what these events are?
2: Yeah, um, this year I ran 40 marathons in 40 days down six of the world's great rivers on six continents to raise awareness about the water crisis. And that was building on a run I did last year, which was to run across seven deserts on seven continents in just seven weeks. And I am excited about this, not only um, because it was a feat I could never ever have imagined achieving, but because I grew up and I wasn't a runner. So if you told me when I was a little kid and I was at school and I was the last person being picked for a sports team that I could possibly have ended up here having done these crazy things, I would have just laughed. And I think that you know, it's, it's interesting to look back at your life and, and think how when you're a kid we frame the way that we think our lives are going to be, but actually our lives don't have to continue to be that way. It's up to us how we want to pursue our goals, dreams and objectives. And I had a life-changing experience at the age of um, 22 when I got pushed into a swimming pool and I hurt my back very badly. And the doctors told me that I would never be able to run again. Mm. And all my friends were like, high five, Mina, great excuse. You don't ever have to run. You can sit on the couch and eat pizza. And I just thought to myself, I don't want to live my life sitting on a couch and eating pizza. I don't want to live my life within the confines of four walls. That's not my purpose. It's not my dream And so I set about changing it and I started swimming and I thought I was like this red hot swimmer because I could go out and swim two laps. And one of my friends bet me that I couldn't turn up to swim training with the triathlon team the next day. I'm like, did you know that swimmers swim at 5 a.m. in the morning? (laughs) (laughs) But of course it's a a bet, right? So there's no chance I'm going to miss out on my bet. So here I am rocking up at 5 a.m. It's pitch black. Just looking around going, I am the craziest, most stupid person on the planet. Anyway, I'm with a lot of other crazy people and got in the pool. I did my two laps. They swam like 10 kilometers. That's like six miles. (laughs) I'm huffing and puffing and they're like, whoosh, 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 whoosh through the water. And an amazing thing happened because those people were so friendly and the opportunity to get out of my box and meet them and be part of something a community of people was my first I think kind of introduction to the power of having a tribe and the power of having a community of people around you that supports you and encourages you and says on those days when you don't want to get out of your box you know what let's just go do it because when you get out it's just the most amazing experience and so I went back and back and back and What started off being two laps of swimming ended up being a lot more swimming and then eventually bike riding. And then I realized that if I really wanted to, one of my friends said to me, if you really want to make a difference and you really want to show people you're not going to be a cripple, you should start running. And so I did. I couldn't even run 100 meters, Curtis. I literally could not run 100 meters.
1: Wow.
2: And here I am years later, um, having done what I've done, um, and done it to raise awareness about the water crisis and done it with a much greater purpose in mind. So I think that you know, people look at me and they badge me as a an ultra runner or like some athlete and I look I'm go, I'm not an athlete, I'm not an ultra runner. I'm just fueled by an ambition to make the world a better place. And every day when I wake up and I don't want to run because my – My little secret is I actually don't really like running that much, (laughs) (laughs) but every day like today when I knew I had to get up at 4 a.m. and go for my run before talking to you, I thought to myself, you know, I'm doing this for a greater purpose, and that's to make the world a better place, that is to leave the world um, in better condition for the next generation.
1: Mm. Well, you certainly have used your your abilities and your newfound passion for running to get the word out and to work hard to make the world a better place. I've told our listeners so many times that when people find what they're passionate about, it often grows into giving back, you know, giving back to the planet, giving back to the society, giving back to our communities. And I love that. I don't know why it is, but when people find an adventure sport that they love and they plug into it and their lives begin to take on that, that enhanced experience that I keep talking about, Quite often, then they find the energy and the desire to make a difference on the planet. And that's what you're doing. So, you started a nonprofit and you literally have run the planet to help get the word out about water issues. And I know that some of our listeners are going to be going, right on, water issues. Yeah. And other people are saying, what are you talking about? It's water. <laughs> so, fill us in. What are the water issues?
2: Yeah. When I grew up, when I was a kid, um, and I grew up in Australia, We had a 10-year drought. It was a massive water crisis. So we'd always have to turn our taps off when we're brushing our teeth and take little short showers. We always had this little plastic shower timer in the shower. We had to flip over and take less than three minutes in the shower. And we would put big buckets under the taps when we were doing the washing up, catch the water and lug it out and put it on the garden. And I always thought that we had a really water-sustainable, water-efficient lifestyle. What I did not have any idea about is that that only represents less than 5% of our daily water consumption. The vast majority of the water that we use every day goes into the things we use, we buy and we consume and that is our food, it's our electricity and our power, it's our clothing, just for an example, what you're wearing today, the shoes, the pants, the shirt, you're in Colorado, so you might be wearing your shorts, took more water to make than all the water you have drunk in your entire lifetime. Wow. And I thought to myself, right, so wait a minute. So I'm, you know, I, I, I'm vegetarian. I've been vegetarian for a long, long time. Um the amount of meat, the amount of water that goes into, let's say, a hamburger. This is just to give you an example, is the same as taking a shower for two hours.
1: Hmm, surprising, isn't it?
2: Yeah. And I sat back and I thought, wow, this is like when I found out these numbers, I just went, okay. So we have a water crisis in Australia, but is there a water crisis everywhere else? And Do people in other places also not know this information? So um, what I found was that the water crisis is prevalent across the globe, and it is really, really scary. The water crisis is so bad that experts predict that by 2030, there's going to be a 40% greater demand for water than the supply of water available, 40%. If you look around, you look at Cape Town, for example, Cape Town right now has 142 days of water left. In Cuba, they're having the worst drought they've ever had in 100 years, more than 100 years, right? And there is water mafia. People are stealing water to survive. Wow. In, In India, guards guard reservoirs, and people deliver water in tanks once a week. In places like Syria, people have been displaced by rising food prices and problems with getting access to water. You know, there are water crises that are coming up all over the world, and that's not even covering the United States. We're in California. They have a huge water problems, as many of your listeners will know, um, in part you caused by overuse of groundwater. So what we're doing is we're draining groundwater supplies to grow crops and produce stuff, and we, we're using that water too fast for nature to be able to replenish it. And that's why by 2030, there'll be a 40% difference between demand and supply. And it's why I ran 40 marathons to illustrate this number.
1: So 40 for the 40%. Wow. Yeah. And you said, you said 2030. Now people might think 2030 is way out there, but it's 13 years. It's actually not even that. It's, it's a little over 12 years. Um, that'll happen really quickly. So what you're saying is we have a little over a decade to sort out this problem and our, our water supply on this earth is going to be 40% deficient.
2: That is absolutely correct.
1: Wow. See, I did not know that. Now, I'm probably like a lot of people uh, that are used to living in a place where you turn a tap and the water comes out. So it, it seems like it's an unlimited supply, right? And it's not. But we know it's a renewable resource. It snows. It rains, the rivers flow to the sea, and the whole thing starts over again. But what you're telling us is the renewability of it is not going to keep up with the demand.
2: That's exactly right. So if you think about it like a glass of water, and in the past we had one straw, and the one straw was people drinking it and washing and taking showers and maybe a bit of crops to eat. But now there's more and more straws in that glass sucking the glass dry. And the people pouring the planet that pours the water back in the glass can't pour it in fast enough to satisfy all the demands that are coming out of the straws.
1: Mm, That's fascinating. Well, Mina, I want to jump into, in just a moment, your ultra running and what it was like to actually do these feats because I really believe that adventure sports matter, and that's really what our program is about. But before we dive in there, you know, I've, I've said on the show before that water is the lifeblood of the planet. And what I mean by that is, if you want to know what the health of the planet is, all you have to do is just look at the local water. It's the same thing as if you go to the doctor and they want to see what kind of illness you may have, they take a blood sample. Because you can tell by looking at that what's going on in the body. Same thing with our water. And I think what would be shocking is if people actually knew the quality of the water from the various rivers around the globe. I'm not so sure it's so healthy.
2: Right. Well, it's, I think it's two things. It's the quality of the river water, but it's also the amount of water in the river. I'll give you an example. I was um, in one of my runs last year when I ran across the deserts. We were in South Africa, and we had planned to put uh, our support vehicle onto a barge to get it across the Orange River. Now, the Orange River is a river that runs has run for many years through the Richtersfeld Desert, which is in the northwest part of South Africa and runs basically the Richtersfeld is the bottom part of the Namibian Desert. It's an absolutely spectacular part of the planet. Mm-hmm. There are many spectacular parts, it, but this is really a beautiful place. And this river has provided life and sustenance to people right through the south part of Namibia and the north part of, of South Africa. It provides tourism opportunities, it waters crops, it powers houses, you know, it's, a, it's an amazing river. And when we got down to this river to put, the boat, to put the car on the barge, the guys came up to us and they said, we're really sorry, we've just closed the barge. And we said, oh, well, that's all right, just reopen it. They said, no, you don't understand we can't get the barge across the river because the river is so low that it's getting stuck on the sandbank. I said, what are you talking about? And they said that we were standing down by the water's edge by this stage and we're looking up at this cliff above us and they pointed to the top of the cliff and they said, Mina, seven years ago, the water was seven metres higher than it is now. It's dropped seven metres in seven years. And I said, I'm sorry. What did you say? It's dropped like by that much. What is it because of drought? Is it because why? And I said, well, yeah, partly because of drought, but mainly um, because of agriculture. And when you get over the other side, you'll figure out why. So I've looked at. Of course, this is you know anyone who's done adventures knows that adventures don't usually go according to plan. Right. <laughs> This is one of those moments. Like, okay, how are we going to manage this? So the guys jumped in the cars and um, figured out a route that was an extra 350 kilometres around the outside, around to the next bridge. And I jumped in a bright orange plastic canoe and kayaked across this river, uh, much to the amazement of everybody who was sitting around. And they always thought, oh, she's going to tip over. It's going to be a disaster. Well, I got over to the other side. And, uh, by the way, I have never ever written, when you've entered into a new country, I've never written under form of transport, orange kayak. (laughs) 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 And the border guard said, what? I said, it's just there. You can see it just right
0: there. (laughs) Right.
2: Um, Anyway, I ran up the other side of the river and what I found were acre after acre of bright green grape plantations which are being watered by sprinklers with the water from the Orange River Mm. and these grapes were going not to feed the people of the country and in fact they were going for export and one of the guys responsible for it in the farm said to me, Mina, the irony of all of this is that we're draining that river not for an essential food item but for a food that's a luxury. Right. And I looked and I thought, how many times have I thrown out grapes that look kind of soggy or brown or a bit off? Or, you know, how many times do we throw out food that has been made using the resources of our planet? And I stopped and said, I'm just not going to do that anymore because our planet's lifeblood is too important to throw away. And, you know, your analogy about people giving blood. You think about it, if the rivers and the water are the lifeblood of this planet, why are we wasting it? We would never do that to human blood. We would no. never do that to the resources that we really care about, that are most valuable things. We don't just dispose of like they're nothing. So why do we dispose of the things that the planet has given us as if they are nothing too? Because they're not.
0: Let's take a quick message break and hear from the folks that help make this show possible. That is plenty of that for now. Let's get back into the episode.
1: Well, I want to continue to talk about this as we explore the things that you've done to build awareness about this issue. And I think, really, Mina, what's going on here is people are not aware. You know, I think most people in the West, they know that, well, water matters, we're supposed to conserve, but they don't realize that the table grapes or the bottle of wine... Is draining, you know, entire ecosystems in other parts of the world where people are suffering as a result. They don't understand that there's a connection between those two things.
2: That's exactly right. And one of the reasons why I'm running is to try to get people to be aware of that.
1: Wow. That's fascinating. So let's talk about this year's feat six rivers, the six river run. That was the 40 marathons in 40 days. Okay. I have to stop right there. You already told us your story about how you started running, but 40 marathons in 40 days, what is that? How did you get to the point that you could pull that off?
2: Okay, Curtis, when you say it, it just sounds so stupid. <laughs> and I'm sitting here going, did I really do that? Cause that just sounds like completely ridiculous. Um, uh, so I can tell you how I did it. Um, It all seems a bit surreal because, as I told you, I just kind of think of myself like a normal person that doesn't really run very much. Um, So I – okay, so I told you I'm not a runner. Um, I also break easily, so I've had a lot of stress fractures. I'm kind of old, (laughs) like I'm 46 years old. Um, I have feet that don't obey my – desires so they're all kind of knobbly and weird and disgusting as my podiatrist says like they're just disgusting oh. um, they're like, wait a minute could you be like empathetic with something is that your job right. <laughs> your is to tell you the truth they're like dragon's feet oh awesome <laughs> never seen a dragon running a marathon so this is going to be just completely awesome um so I realized uh, very early on, actually, thanks to my physio, who said to me, you know, if you're really going to do this thing, the most important thing to do is be strong. And he gave me a completely different perspective on life, actually, because what he and my coach now really emphasized is it's, yeah, it's about running, but it's about being strong enough to weather any storm that life or running or anything throws at you. Mm. It's about... Being able to have a body that is healthy, that is able to live life, not live life sitting on a couch watching TV, live life, getting outdoors and being part of what nature gives us.
1: Yeah. Yeah, that's good. So what they're saying is that maybe running 40 marathons in 40 days has a lot more to do with your attitude than it does with uh, how fit you are.
2: Yeah, it has, so to be able to run 40 marathons in 40 days, you need three things. You need to have a, apart from of course, all the logistics and everything, but internally the preparation is about really three things. The first one is physical fortitude. You need to be strong. That's not just getting out there and smashing yourself running. That's about going and physically making sure that you can Be strong, that your core is strong, that your legs are strong, that you are doing, that you're lifting weights. And I'm not talking about like going necessarily into the gym or paying lots of money for a gym membership and lifting lots of stuff. I'm talking about, you know, I do my weight training with my body weight and my coach and we go to the local park with all the kids running around and we string up my TRX bands and we use like stretchy TheraBands and all kinds of stuff And we use my body weight Mm, and that makes you strong. It makes your body work better together and it makes you understand how your body is. And I think sometimes we forget about about that. So the first piece of all of the preparation for these activities that I do is about being physically strong. The second is about mental strength. And mental strength is about making sure that you know why you want to do it making sure that you understand the purpose that drives you, making sure you understand your passion. Because if you want to do something that's completely extreme, if you want to do whatever it takes to achieve your dream, you need to really know why you want that dream to happen. And I tell you that that is because the first thing that disappears on, this, on these crazy things that you go through is the physical side. So you break down. things; Things literally break things, um, you get sore, you get completely exhausted. All of this happens like on day three or four. I'm not talking like, you know, day 20. It happens if you're running a marathon. It happens if you're running a 5K and you've never run a 5K before. At the end of the first kilometer, you'll be like, wow, my legs are hurting and my lungs feel like they're popping out of my mouth. Or you're climbing up a mountain or you're doing anything the way you're pushing your body. There is a point pretty early on where you're just like, Okay this is hard and as soon as you get to that moment that's when the, ma- the that's when the brain needs to kick in of I'm doing this for this person for this person this person this thing this purpose or my own personal dream so the second part is really understanding mentally why and how you're doing this and then the third piece is emotional and it's about really going even deeper than the intellectual side, really deep into your heart and into your gut and understanding the real driver of everything you do and understanding how strong you are and building more emotional strength. And the reason why you need that is because when your brain gives out, when you can no longer draw on the mental fortitude that you've built, you have only raw emotion left and that raw emotion you find every devil and demon you ever knew in your life comes out to play and they will party like there's no tomorrow. Mm. And if you get sucked into that partying, that's when the whole thing can easily fall apart. And that's why a lot of people find, you know, the last 10 kilometres of a marathon or the last bit of summiting a mountain that's when things get really tough because emotionally you're raw, your demons are out there, you're battling them, you're battling the physical part and you're battling the mental part as well. So I spend um, time every day meditating. I spend time really, really thinking and and trying to build the emotional resilience as well. So training is about more than just getting out there and running. It's about making sure that as a person – um you are able to, as I said, weather any storm that nature throws at
1: you. Right. Well let's talk a little bit specific. That's by the way, that's excellent. I really love what you said there. Um and I think that people that do endurance sports that already know, you know, what it feels like, they're like, yeah, yeah, that's it. And people that have never done endurance sports, they need to know it's not necessarily a just about the physical challenge of it, you know? But what's so beautiful about that is when you're fighting those demons and you're overcoming those challenges, you learn something about yourself. I really, truly believe it makes you stronger. It makes you stronger on the inside and on the outside, so then you are better equipped to make a difference in the world for yourself, for others, for the planet, and that's what you're doing. So that was that was beautiful. But I want to know more details about the Six Rivers campaign so it was not just six rivers it was six rivers on six continents around the globe how did you manage to run 40 marathons in 40 days and travel the six continents at the same time
2: yeah so um yeah with a lot of grit and determination um so logistically what we did was um we said okay we need to figure out how we can most efficiently run um, from A to B, that we can fly and that we can somehow make sure that I don't fall in a heap along the way.
0: <laughs> right. And
2: typically what it meant is that some days when we got stuck, um, when we had transport delays or when things happened um, outside of our control, we would end up having to run a lot more than a marathon. So, um, And there were some days when I ran almost two marathons in a day to try to make up mileage that we'd lost along the way. Wow. You know, it's one of those things that, as I said, no adventures ever go according to plan um, and you just figure out how to handle your way around them. I think that, you know, my view is that actually life isn't one big adventure, that every single day that we live, adventures happen. Adventure is a frame of mind. It's a way of looking at things and it's a way of looking at things in a positive light. It's about saying, okay, something bad has happened. I can either look at it as something bad or I can make it into my own little mini adventure. I can look at this as, you know, I said to you when we were just talking before we we started recording that, you know, things can go bad and you're really tempted to give up. There are many, many times on many, many days when I really wanted to give up. I've got to tell you, I've suffered through that Six River Run like I've never suffered through anything before in my life. Mm. My falling apart um, in the Amazon. It was very hot and very wet. Of course, not surprisingly, uh, it's a rainforest and it rains a lot. And the trails are muddy, very and slippery, extremely. And I ended up running on days when we had when I had like two or three inches of mud attached to the bottom of my shoe. It felt oh. like I was running in high heel shoes. It Was crazy. And I was sliding around and ended up um, most most of that time literally running through puddles, which was great to try to wash the mud off. Didn't really work, but it was an attempt. But it was terrible for my feet. And what ended up happening is the bottom parts of my feet fell off. We did surgery. <laughs> it was one memorable moment when we were on um, our support vehicle, which in the Amazon was a boat. And we were sitting there my my podiatrist Brock had a scalpel in one hand my toe in the other hand and we're literally skipping along the tops of the the little waves in the in the along the amazon river with the locals all around just in shock that Brock was in the process of slicing pieces of my toe
1: <laughs> off oh no
2: skin and toenails and and all kinds of things so You know, my feet were in bad shape. Um, Emotionally, I was a wreck. I told you I'd done a lot of work to try to strengthen emotionally, um, but I was finding it extremely hard. Uh, My legs had given out. I've never been in a situation before where I've not been able to really control my my legs. They were so exhausted my body was shutting down. And I had started many days with tears streaming down my face, thinking, you know, what am I going to do? And on days like those, I think when you're really tempted to give up uh, and you've had enough, I say to myself, right, here we go, pity party time. I can throw myself a pity party for a period of time and I can revel in it and I can enjoy it, but it's not going to change the world. It's not going to make an impact and it's not going to get me to the end of this. So I need to stiffen my spine and I need to hold my head up, take a deep breath and get on with this. And I think that, and those kind of emotional things are how you get through it. And you know, running forty marathons in forty days, as I said to you, it, it's not just a physical thing; it's much more of a mental and emotional thing, just like life, just like running a marathon, running a five k, climbing a mountain, kayaking down a river that you've never done before. It's grit and determination and wanting something to happen, then making it.
1: Mm. Well, you know, we've talked on the Adventure Sports Podcast often uh, to ultra runners, and one of the big feats is the Marathon to Sob. And that's where you do essentially seven marathons, but you did 40. And the previous year, you were doing your runs in the desert. And so it's kind of like you said, well, okay, I'm going to do the Marathon to Sob times 10 or 5 or whatever it is but tell us a little bit about the desert runs
2: yeah actually it's interesting because i have done the marathon to sub. Um, and it's a very very hard race just in case anybody's thinking about it it's amazing but it's very tough oh yeah and in fact that that i've got to tell you the key moment when i realized that running was probably going to be something i did was um, at the seven, you know, I think I was about seven, 10, 12 kilometers in the very first early part of the first day of the run, surrounded by deserts, looking at all these crazy fit people thinking, what am I doing here? Um, And I had an immense pain in my hip. And I thought, wow, I'm in trouble. I can't put my foot down without this intense pain searing through my body. And I sat on a rock, put my backpack down, and I literally, again, tears. I'm a girl. I guess I can cry. Um, and I had tears streaming down my face, and I was like, what am I going to do? I-, I can't run. I can't walk. And this is sand dunes. And should probably have figured this out a week ago before I actually <laughs> Here I am. And I'm quite within my rights to give up Um I'm clearly in this pain and suffering involved and I'm clearly hurting myself so I could just give up. And I thought, what am I going to tell 50,000 Chinese kids that are following me on Chinese Twitter? That it's okay when you are confronted by something hard to just give up? That it's okay when you have a dream to say, I'll do it tomorrow? That it's okay to just say, something has come up, a speed hump, I hit a speed hump so now I'm going to just go home thought that's not the message I want to give to anybody, let alone to the next generation. So I picked up my backpack, pulled out my two walking sticks that I'd never used before, and I started. And every day my goal was just to get to the next checkpoint. And I trudged through that sand and I made it to the end. And I'll never forget that feeling of crossing that line of seeing all the messages from the young kids in China were just like you know which in chinese means add oil literally but means like come on come on you can keep going Mm. and the way in which that inspired others to also believe that you don't have to be anyone to be someone you don't have to be an athlete to do crazy things you don't have to be an adventurer to have an adventure you don't have to be like some you know crazy explorer to go and find new places every one of us is capable of doing amazing things and that was my first lesson in you know we can achieve anything we set our minds to
1: mm, that's that's beautiful so after the marathon to sob and the challenge that that was why did you choose the seven deserts run
2: i wanted to illustrate to people what happens when we have a water crisis what happens when people have to live with no water And I chose um, one desert on each continent basically because I'm like, well, every continent has a water crisis. There are huge deserts in places we don't even know about. People don't know that there are deserts in Europe. And so I ran across the Tabernas Desert in Spain and I met farmers talking to me about how they injected water into some of their fruit to make it way heavier. Mm. And I'm – went to Jordan and I met Bedouins and I met people who live for almost all their lives with very little water. And I experienced water crisis firsthand because there were days when we would try to find water. We'd go to the well. So the local team that was supporting us would like, say, oh, it's okay, I Mina. Mean, we can get some water later today when we go to the well. And we go to the well, it's dry. Wow. We go to the next well and it's dry. And we go to the next well and it's dry. And you really start to realize that okay we're in a desert and there is no water what next and the people we met in jordan you know one of the guys said to us his name is yusuf and he's a lovely guy and he said to me mina i don't fear that the next world war will be fought over oil or about terrorism it's going to be fought about water i don't think this is going to be in my lifetime but it will definitely be in my children's lifetime they will become the first water refugees and I looked at him went, "You don't think that your kids are going to live in Jordan?" He said, "No way, not possible." Wow, mm. you know you meet people like that and firsthand you start to realize the enormity of the crisis that's facing us. And I went from Jordan to Antarctica and Antarctica is such an incredible place on this planet, not only because, It's so white and there's literally nothing growing there except a little bit of green moss and loads of penguins. But because it is such a source of information about what our planet has been through in the past, that drilling down through the kilometres of ice to find ice core samples and for me to be able to stand there holding 60,000 years of data in my hands And looking at it and saying this is what helps us to predict our future and predict what the weather patterns are going to be, whether it's going to rain or snow, what the farmers are going to be able to plant, that's a pretty incredible experience. And, of course, running in Antarctica presents like an entirely different challenge than running in the sands of of the Arabian Desert of Jordan. It was white everywhere. The sky is white you can't see the horizon because everything blurs into this kind of whiteness and you feel a bit like you're running in an ida down and it's quiet, so quiet. You feel like you can hear the sound of your own heartbeat
1: mm.
2: and your feet are crunching on the ice. You can occasionally see a penguin and you're like, hey, g'day, mate, <laughs> and it is... I can't even begin to explain to you the experience of that that gives you to be so close to and part of nature. And I went so in from uh, Antarctica, running on top of kilometres of ice, the irony of it being one of the biggest deserts in the world. Right. driest place on the planet, and yet there's literally two, three kilometres of ice underneath you, like which is, you know, what in American terms, what, two miles? Um and then I flew to Australia, to the Simpson Desert, and I got off the plane. And you have to remember, I've been in Antarctica, white, 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 snow, ice, minus twenty degrees Celsius, which is like freezing cold, sure. freezing, freezing, freezing cold. And I got off the plane into a bright red sandy desert, where the temperature was forty-seven degrees Celsius. Oh. <laughs> 120 and i felt like i'd emerged from this cocoon of an airplane into an oven with the fan on it was such a shock
0: let's take a quick message break and hear from the folks that helped make this show possible That is plenty of that for now. Let's get back into the episode.
2: And I wanted, I, I chose Australia very deliberately, not only because I am Australian, but because Australia has done a huge amount of work trying to figure out how to manage water resources better. The people in Australia have grown up with recycling, um, with knowing and understanding that we have an incredible, we inhabit an incredible part of the planet and we need to protect it. So I wanted to go and understand a bit more about how the Australian government is managing that and see if I could work out ways that we could use that as examples for other parts of the world. What I didn't expect was to meet the, so many of the indigenous people who just kept on telling me water is life. Where you see no water, we see water everywhere. And I and I said, well, we're in a desert, how is there water? They said, there's water underneath us. If you know where to look, we can find it. And I thought, wow, that's like a synonym for life. You know, mm. so many of us look around and we see nothing, but actually everything is there. And when we open our eyes, we can see amazing things. And I think that one of, the, one of the awesome pieces that you don't expect when you go out into nature and you have adventures, and I know that a lot of people listening will be thinking about, well, you know, what is their own adventure? And... Why would you go and want to do that? And you want to do it because it teaches you things that you never knew before. It teaches you about the planet, but it teaches you, as you said, Curtis, about yourself. It introduces you to people you'd never meet, and it makes you have interactions that you never would have expected and completely change your frame of perspective and your mind. So that was Australia. Um, Pretty amazing. And I went from Australia to South Africa to the Richtersveld, which I told you in my little story about the Orange River. Um, But the Richtersveld is also amazing because it's the most biodiverse place, desert on the planet. And as I ran along, one of the local guys said to me, you know that aloe vera right there? It's just a spiky little vicious-looking plant that, of course, yields beautiful things for our skin. He said that type of aloe vera only grows on that hill facing that way. I'm like, okay, well, only, you know, one of the the countries. He's like, no, 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 on the planet. That is the only place that grows on this entire planet. (laughs) Unbelievable. This guy is 23 years old, okay? He has uncovered so many new species of plants and animals. Like, since he was 15 years old, he's been identifying and finding new species. Unbelievable. These people. Oh, Curtis. If I had not gone on my adventures, I never would have met them. I never would have found them. I never would have found Hugo, um, who's a guy who in the Atacama Desert. So I went from um, the the desert in South Africa, the Richtersveld, to, um, to Chile, to the Atacama Desert. And the Atacama Desert is one of the driest, windiest deserts on the planet. I spent days where I didn't see anything growing. You know, I felt a bit like I was in the sandy version of Antarctica. (laughs) Because there were no plants, there were no trees. Occasionally there was a scrappy-looking little bush. Um, But what I did see were these mining cones. So, unfortunately... Underneath the Atacama Desert, there are loads and loads of minerals, minerals that go into our mobile phones and go into a whole bunch of stuff that we use. And uh, to mark people's mining tenements, there are these little white concrete hats that sit literally littered like snowflakes across the desert. Mm. And, um, you know, mining has good things, of course, because we need the minerals that it yields, but there are sad side effects of mining, and one of those side effects was, of course, the Chilean miners that got stuck underground. And I ran um, through the place where they were stuck, and it has it means that if you don't look after the mining tailings, the they can be washed away. So one of the places that I ran as I ran through the mining area was through a town that had been celebrating forthcoming water. So these guys, a lot of the people in this desert have never ever seen it rain.
1: Wow.
2: Others have it rain like once or twice in their lifetime. So when it's going to rain or when the rain is coming, it's a massive celebration. They all get together, they go home and they eat and they celebrate and they party and it's like a huge important piece of their lives. And on this day when the rains came and they were all celebrating in their homes, the tailings from up the river or up the valley, which hadn't been properly looked after by the miners, were washed down. There was a massive landslide and the entire town, thousands of people were washed away. All you can see now are old remnants of this village, mud-filled homes, um, bits of car carcasses, of a former life that have basically been washed down and sit embedded in what is now a field of mud wow. and you know it's i think that we often forget where our stuff comes from and the impact of our stuff and we're really tempted to buy the cheapest thing or we're really tempted to buy a bit more than we need just in case and i think All of my experiences of running in different places, of meeting different people have shown me the importance of being responsible, being a responsible consumer and understanding my own water footprint, my carbon footprint, my consumption footprint on our planet and understanding the impact that that has not just on the people immediately around me but many oceans away. Right. And You know, it's easy for us to just ignore that. Um, it's also easy to be really depressed about all these things. As I was running through along these mud flats, literally past carcasses of cars, um, I thought to myself, wow, this is completely depressing. I'd heard about a guy called Hugo who lived on the clifftops. And Hugo is an incredibly inspiring, um, uplifting story of a guy who read about uh, an invention. Remember, this is a place where people have never seen it rain. Um, it literally has less than three to four millimetres of rain a year on average, and Hugo lives there. And Hugo lives on the top of the cliffs. And what he found was that these people had created an invention that he read about, and he said, I can do that too. And the invention is to take old fishing nets, stick them up on big poles, and let the water, the, um, the clouds that come off the ocean, that are literally floating through the sky get caught in these fishing nets. And the, the water from the clouds then runs down the net into big tanks. The water that is coming out of the clouds has let Hugo not only water crops, grow fresh tomatoes and fresh vegetables that he can then sell to the local community, but he grows fish. Hugo has tanks of water that are growing fish that enable him to live on fresh fish, fresh fruit, fresh vegetables that he's grown himself.
1: It's kind of um, ironic, isn't it? He caught the water with fishing nets so that he can raise fish.
2: Yeah. Actually, I hadn't (laughs) thought about that. That's great. Yeah. But the inventive nature of people and our ability to adapt to different circumstances never ceases to amaze me. And Hugo is one of those people who just was like, look, you know, I'm just a normal person, but I can make Great things happen. And I think from people like you, I really learned, you really don't have to be anyone to be someone. Any single one of us is capable of change.
1: Mm. You know, I was going to ask, and maybe you just answered the question before I asked it, but in meeting all of these people and having all of these experiences, you had to learn amazing things yourself. So um, would you tell us a few more amazing life lessons that you learned along the way?
2: Well, so many. Um, Yeah. Um, I think I learned the power of each of us to make change. Um, I really learned, as I said, that you don't have to be anyone to be someone. I think it's very easy to think, you know, in my case I came from a little town in Australia. It's far away. I didn't go to, like, places i didn't i wasn't incredibly connected i don't know lots of people i just do my thing um of course things change over life and you get to know more and more people and you get to be more connected and you know but i'm not a bazillionaire explorer that can go out and achieve stuff um i just do what i believe in so i think i learned the power of passion passion dreams, a belief, whatever you want to call it, powers you to achieve things you never thought were possible. I learned the power of a tribe, the importance of having people around you that support you and empower you, that don't tear you down. A lot of people told me when I first, you know, I'm not a runner, okay, so when you stand there and go, okay, I'm not a runner, but I've just decided I'm going to run seven deserts on seven continents in seven weeks, and people go, has that ever been done before? And you go, no. And they say, how is it even possible? And you say, I actually don't know, but I'm going to figure it out. And they go, oh, look, you can't do that. You know, you're 40 years old. Well, you know, I'm not a string bean, Curtis. So they look at me and they go, oh, you're not an athlete. Oh, you, you know, how could you run that? And they tell me, oh, you're, you're a woman, you know, you're getting older. You should be just thinking about doing other things with your time and your life. And I had some of my greatest girlfriends tell me, oh, but, you know, that means that, you know, it's going to, it's going to affect you as a woman like okay and i had friends tell me i'm not you know i'm not a real friend because i'm going off and doing this for oh, wow <laughs> <laughs> and i think unfortunately when you put your hand up and you say you're going to do something that others have never contemplated or when you say this is your dream and others have not had the guts or the grit to achieve their dream it's easy for them to criticize you the strongest ones are the ones that will support you and encourage you will tell you the Mm. truth when you need to hear the truth like Mina it's time for a rest day or Mina actually you probably can't fly for 24 hours and then get off the plane and immediately start running from the airport when there are armed security forces all around you probably want to rethink that Right. (laughs) so You know, it's not about surrounding yourself with sycophants or people who just tell you yes, yes, yes all the time. It's about surrounding yourself with a tribe of people who will be there for you no matter what, who will be a shoulder to cry on when you need it, who will be a pointy shoe in the backside when you need to get moving and keep going, who will tell you to keep going no matter what because they know that achieving your dream is the thing that's most important, and I think if I had any life lessons, I think those are some of of those lessons. And I think I think you know the other the other piece of all of this, Curtis, is uh, about really knowing and understanding who you are as a person deep inside and knowing that it's okay to share that with others. And the ones that will be around you, that will support you, that will encourage you are the ones that will do it without judgment. And I think for me, those are some of the most important life lessons I've learned.
1: I'm going to recap just for fun. I want this to sink in because what you just said is, is uh, mighty. Power to make change. That We all have that power. The power of passion, of dreams, and of belief to, uh, to motivate us to, to push forward and accomplish these things. The power of a tribe, people that will support you no matter what, right? That can support you when you're down and can also push you out the door when you need to get going. And then you also said how important it is to know who you are on the inside and to be willing to share that with people and how important it is for those people to not judge. And, you know, beautiful concepts. Wouldn't the world be a different place if everybody understood these things and made them a reality in their own lives?
2: Yes, because it would breed tolerance and understanding rather than judgment and criticism.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
2: And I think the world in which we live these days we are too quick to judge others instead of first looking at ourselves. And we're too quick to make assumptions as as the the indigenous communities said in Australia you see nothing and we see everything you look at a desert landscape and you see the desert. We look at the desert landscape and we see the opportunity to create life through water that is in places you would never see. And we spend our lives criticizing and looking at others and judging that desert instead of stopping and pausing to look for the water.
1: Mm. You know, I think it's wonderful that you're raising awareness of the, the global water crisis. I, I wasn't aware that we would have a 40% deficit here in 12 years. I mean, I've never heard that statistic before. And I think a lot of people that would hear it would judge. Immediately, they're going to say, no, because that says I'm going to have to change the way I live my life. I don't know if I want to do that. You know what I mean? And I don't want to put a guilt trip on anybody out there. But as you build awareness, then people realize, wow, what we do matters. And... I've been saying this for so long. There's so many people who, uh, God bless them, they're doing the 9 to 5 or the 8 to 8 or whatever it is, and every day blends into the other, and they're tired, and life, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't hold a whole lot of, of uh, exceptional meaning, and we, we get lulled to sleep by our routines. We forget that there's a whole world out there, that there are lessons to be learned, there are experiences to be had, and that there are things that we can do to make a difference and things that we all need to wake up to. Right. It's about waking up and being aware, I think. And I love what you're doing because you have used what you can do, which is run a really long way for a really long time. You have used that to help build this awareness. And I think it's so cool.
2: Yeah. Because I think, you know, routines can be our friend too. So I create routines. So I have a routine every morning. I have a routine at night. Um, Routines can be helpful because they can improve our efficiency. They can calm our minds and they can create healthy habits for us. I think the issue is when a routine becomes just a routine that we haven't thought about, it's just the thing we do without deliberately creating it. Mm. And I think if we live just as passengers instead of actually stopping, pausing, And saying, Am I driving my life or is it driving me? And at that moment, that's when it's time to rethink and say, Okay, is my habit healthy? Is my routine healthy? And if not, change it. You know, and look, there are people, and I I know a lot of um, women because I meet them along the way, um, particularly, and also men who say to me, Oh, you know, what you're doing is amazing, but I could never do that because I've got an ankle that I injured when I was 14 riding a bicycle. Or, oh, I played uh, football when I was young and I hurt my knee. Or I did this and I can't do that. And I think to myself, I look at them and I, nowadays I actually say, why don't you get it fixed? If it was a car, you would fix it. If it was a piece of machinery that was integral to your life at home, a coffee machine, you'd get it fixed. And yet it's your body and you don't get it fixed. And that to some extent frustrates me because there are other people who don't have the physical ability, uh, to do things. So I think, you know, if I look at life, it's the same. If you don't like it, if it's broken, just fix it.
1: Yeah. Get it fixed.
2: We are human beings with emotional and mental fortitude. And again, if you don't have the emotional and mental fortitude to fix something and you want to fix it, we'll fix the emotional and mental fortitude first and then fix the problem. And I think that it's too easy for us just to skate along. It's easy to get on a bus, just sit there and not pay attention. Much harder to drive that bus. But I think if every one of us did one thing this week and it was to stop and pause and just kind of reevaluate or go for a walk around the block or go to a local park and just sit and listen to the birds and look at the sky and breathe the air and say, is this the am I living the life I wanna live or is this life living me and where do I want to be and what can I do to make this better Um, and I often ask people in a water context there are you know really simple things that you can do things that you do without even thinking that are, are bad you know throwing food out food waste is a huge huge problem and it'd be so easy just to Eat what, take what we want to eat, eat what's on our plate, and save the leftovers for tomorrow. But don't save the leftovers for like three days later when you're going to put them in the bin. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was talking to a family that makes um, pizzas, and they were saying, you know, they make all these different kinds of pizzas, but they never use the whole salami. They never use the, you know, all of the tomato. They never use this. They never use that. So three days later, it gets put in the bin. So why don't you just make a bit of extra pizza? That you can eat for lunch the next day. Like, oh, that's a good idea. Okay. And I think that's a really small example of habit, of changing things, but on a much deeper level, when you do sit in that park and you do reevaluate your life, and whether it's a, you know, not to say eight till eight working existence, coming home exhausted, that's really tough. But it doesn't mean that you can't spend time. To do something for yourself as well right. maybe it's maybe it's going a different way to work in the morning maybe it's getting up a few minutes earlier and doing a little bit of meditation or maybe it's taking your dog your dog for a, a walk in a new place or maybe it's about saying to yourself on a saturday morning that's going to be my adventure morning or a sunday morning or just doing something a little bit different that allows you to take greater control of
1: your life and your future. Mm, Well, Mina, I couldn't have said that better. And that is one of the main themes of the adventure sports podcast. So thank you so much for sharing from your heart, you know, such good words to motivate us, to get us out the door when we need to, to get out there and and make a difference and to live our lives larger and to be aware. And I, I just love it. We, we would be wrong if we didn't take time to mention some of your sponsors and how people can get more information if they want to learn more about what you're doing. So we got to do that before we wrap up here. But I guess first, your website is just minaguli.com That's M-I-N-A-G-U-L-I. So minaguli.com And there you can see what Mina is up to, all the things that she's doing. It's really awesome. But Mina, you are also sponsored by LifeStraw. And I think it's so cool because it's such a parallel to your passion about water. What is LifeStraw?
2: Yeah, so um, Life Straw is a really incredible invention, actually. Uh, it's a water filtration system that is completely portable, and it's called Life Straw because it is a straw. So you can suck through this filter, and um, there are multiple different things you can use the filter for. So you can either just carry the filter and you put it directly into a water source and you drink through it. I actually drank from every river. Um, From the Yangtze, from the Nile, from people in the Nile were just completely amazed. They were like, "What are you doing? (laughs) What are you doing? You're going to die!" Of course, I haven't died um, because I'm here talking to you. But um, that I I drank through that water filter in every single river I went to. Um, You can also get them in bottles, so where you can literally scoop the water out, you put the filter on, and drink straight through the filter. It is completely remarkable. They're actually they've actually just released a new one too that um, is filtering some of the heavy metals out. So for people who live in places where you're worried about the heavy metals, um, you can also look at Life Straw as an option for you, for the kids, for the family. Um, yeah, it's awesome. The other really really cool thing about Life Straw is that they are a social enterprise. So that means that they uh, provide Life Straws to people in need in places like Kenya, in Africa and other places around the world and they do a lot of work with, with the disaster relief so they make sure that people who have access only to extremely poor quality of water can actually get access to, to proper drinking water. It's, very, it's a very cool company, if people are interested, um, there's lots of information on their website too about the, the projects that they do in, in places like Kenya and you can really see the impact that they're having. Mm. Um, Curtis also if people are interested um, they're also awesome awesomely welcome to um, get in touch with me directly. I'm on Facebook so it's Mina Guli water uh, is my public Facebook page um, or you can just um, just send me an email directly through, the, through my website.
1: Okay, very good. So Mina Gooley water for Facebook. Uh, Twitter is at Minaguly Instagram, Absolutely. at Mina Ghoulie. It's not
2: very complicated. I think we found a,
1: a kind of a theme here. If you go Mina Ghoulie, you'll get there.
2: Um, yes, there aren't that many Mina Ghoulies on the planet. Luckily. <laughs> luckily for the world, I think. That's <laughs> great. sister I always tell me, lucky for the world, there's only one of you.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I think that we could use a few more Mina Ghoulies around. I really enjoyed hearing about your adventures and the difference that you're making today so thank you so much for taking the time to share that with us
2: thanks Curtis it's an enormous pleasure to be with you and to chat to your community and I hope that over the last little bit of time that we've been chatting people have really been a little bit inspired to do something a little bit different to think about things a little bit differently or to just go out there and say you know that dream that I put on the back burner maybe I can just move it a little bit forward in my mind and in my life
1: absolutely very very well said and for all of those listeners out here wow mina's really uh, shown us by example and by her words that you can make a difference in your own life and in the lives of so many others and uh, so get out there have some fun and make that difference
0: first of all Thank you so much for listening. It means the world to us that you choose to listen to this show. If you'd like to help us further, you can leave a review on iTunes, share us with your friends, your family. It goes a long way to grow in the show. You can also support us financially through patreon.com slash adventuresportspodcast. Link is in the show notes. And also, if you have an idea of who could be a good guest for the show, we're always looking for people to tell their story uh, about the outdoors or adventure. So if you know someone, please reach out email us at info at adventuresportspodcast.com and until then get out there and have some fun